Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Derailed Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. Fred, thanks for taking the time out to join me in your own house. Yes, welcome, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, welcome to you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, so Patreon, we had a few people sign up. Yes, eight in total, I think. Yeah, so thanks so much, guys. That's been really, really awesome. Yeah, it's um, very cool to see. Yeah, that. especially like getting some people into the Discord server and we've been able to have some cool chats in there already and conversations and stuff. And it's just cool to be able to interact with people yes yeah very cool yeah so hopefully in the future we what we want to do is sort of like um have people ask questions there or maybe we can sort of get a discussion topic going and get input from the people in there as well mm. stuff like that so yeah especially once we've got a couple more people i think it'd be really really cool to do that kind of stuff yeah yeah and the people that are there already feel free to make suggestions if you want for topics yeah or, or ask us questions or anything yeah. yeah absolutely i think it'd be really cool um in terms of content and stuff anyone wants to yeah suggest anything or we already take a lot of <laughs> a lot of suggestions from email already so yes yeah. true yeah yeah so i just wanted to list off our new patrons here yeah just to give them a big thanks so there's dan dom there's gabe jeff hayward lorcan mike jansen do you think you pronounce it the same way we do i would say jansen in south africa to be jansen jansen yeah i think that would be mike jansen yeah. yeah yeah are you dutch mike jansen Tell us what's up. Um, Roberto Marrero. Roberto is the guy who emailed us from Spain that one time. Uh, he has that Megatol Rex crew. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then there's Shazna and Tim Kopang. So thank you to all you guys. Thank yes, you so thank much. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, very, very cool. So we really appreciate that. Yeah. So, Fred, should we talk about the mail? Yes, let's talk about the mail. That right there is the mail. Now, let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Okay, so I got a mail from, I got a reply email from Jeff, one of the guys I just uh, listed, one of our patrons. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we were talking about his group, um, and you pronounce it Sue. Yeah. Yeah, I screwed Su, that up. What was the name of the group again? Uh, Su, Sufu Chuchu. Sufu Chuchu. Yeah. yeah a, no, you like said you got name. a kick out of us um, <laughs> mentioning that on the podcast. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, I think we said like, see you or something. Uh, yes. That was me. I screwed that up. You took zero. You didn't take any risks, Fred. <laughs> you didn't risk a pronunciation <laughs> I like did I not, did. No. So everyone just, a couple of people emailed or messaged some way to tell me I was wrong. So. Okay. Always appreciate that. Ooh, and Jeff, I don't know if Jeff was the first person, but we were literally flooded, flooded with messages telling us that your loss at 1849 was completely invalid. Yes, redemption. <laughs> yeah, so we have to talk about that. So we screwed up a rule. Um, in 1849, a valid route is considered to be two cities or towns. So off-board does not count, off-board to a city does not count as a valid route. Yes. So basically, if all you have is an off-board location, you are not forced to buy a train. The funny thing is, is I remember this because mm. the first time we played it, I said that. And I remember you saying something like that as well. Right. Because yeah. I remember even pointing out an off-board and saying, oh yeah, in this case, you can't do this. You have to do this. Mm. And I think we said it was make sense because with the two hex train, you don't count the home tile or whatever, right? right yeah. yeah. So I remember saying, oh yeah, okay, that's probably why it works this way, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But we forgot about that. Yes, during that play, we forgot about it. Yeah. So Jeff said, I'd like to think that Fred would have probably won that game. I think that's a bit of a stretch, oh, stretch no, Jeff. Jeff yeah. 
that is completely correct. No, I think things were looking pretty dire already. When Thanks that, for having my back, Jeff. When that went down, so <laughs> we we won't we won't write that off. So and yeah. this is is this Jeff Hayward? Yes, he yeah. was our first Patreon. Yes, before we even announced it on the podcast, he yeah subscribed he somehow. tracked us down. Yeah, good job, Jeff. Your yeah. Google skills are I like Jeff next level. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff has my back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeff's looking out for you as well. Yeah, yeah. So then I also got an email from uh, Nicholas. Um, with an interesting spelling of Nicholas. Oh, from Sweden. Okay, awesome. Nicholas is from Stockholm. Oh. A lot of 18xx players in Sweden, eh? Yes, and I've been to Sweden and I've been to Stockholm, but that was before I played 18xx. Yeah, yeah, man. You could have lost horribly to Nicholas. I could have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if only I'd known. And Fur as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Pear. Pear. Sorry, Pear. Ah, you see, hmm. you do pronounce mispronounce things as well. <laughs> So, yeah, Nicholas sent us a very kind email. He said, thanks so much for the podcast. It's the highlight of the week for him because he, when he's commuting to work and he really enjoys our thoughts about 18xx games. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, but what I liked is he, he said yeah, um, he wanted to point us to another nice movie with a South African connection that I forgot about, but I certainly have heard of. Um, it's actually made by a Swedish director, but it's Searching for Sugar Man. Oh, I want to watch that. Yes. Because yeah. that apparently, like that song is big in South Africa. Yeah. But apparently it's not very big... No, so Any it's kind place. of a crazy story. So it's a guy called Sixto, Sixto Rodriguez. I'm not sure. We always just called him Rodriguez. He was super, super famous in South Africa only, basically. Yes. Yeah. He's not South African. I'm, I'm not sure. I can't remember where he's from. I think he's from the States or something like that. And for whatever reason, his music became huge here. Yeah. But he kind of didn't really do very well. But everyone in South Africa knows rodriguez mm. especially after this movie came out but even before that we all kind of grew up with these songs and we kind of knew them as well well especially sugar, sugar man yeah especially yeah. sugar man we all kind of knew that song and when this documentary came out i think a lot of south africans for the first time realized that no one else knew these songs yes. i think we all kind of thought this was just a famous song yes so it's a pretty cool documentary it's about this guy who the documentarian goes on the hunt for this guy and it's this whole thing where he's basically been forgotten and then he's like did you know you're huge in south africa and he's like what so he wasn't in south africa anymore no 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 mm. no and I, I think that he didn't i don't know i don't know if it's part of the like little bit of editing or a little bit of dramatization but i think in the documentary he doesn't really know that mm. he's big in south africa he just mm. thought he was kind of a failed musician mm. And it was kind of cool because after this came out, they did a big concert in South Africa oh, okay. with this dude. And like my wife went to it because she'd watched the documentary and she was like super hyped about it oh, or whatever. Wow. Yeah. So everyone went to go watch it. So it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I must watch that because I, I do love the song. The song is amazing. Yeah. So the music, the documentary is basically how he was really big in South Africa, but then he just sort of fell out into yeah. obscurity. And here, I think, was the only place where he really kind of took off. Yeah. Interesting in that it was a Swedish director. Mm, yes yeah. i didn't know that neither did i and yeah i think it did i want to say i don't know if this is wrong i feel like it won the oscar it was nominated for an oscar it did really well and got a lot of critical acclaim okay yeah i'm so very cool yeah yeah so thanks for that connection yes and then last we got an email from brian he was just said great job with the recent podcast and he said that i thought it was interesting he said you're saying that one of the things that he appreciates most is that we also include descriptions of things that went wrong or which caused us to rethink things and he mm. said, there's no better way to learn than by trying things and making mistakes and then talking through those mistakes and hopefully learning from them. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally agree with that. And I think 
I think that part of the advantage of us basically declaring our our ineptness at the beginning of this podcast, mm. you know, when we started it saying, look, we're total beginners. We want to learn with you guys kind of thing. Mm. I think it's given us a good sense of, of just being able to totally own our mistakes. Yes. You know, we're not trying to come across as experts. So we're like kind of deeply embarrassed when we get something wrong or whatever. Yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, this is what we screwed up. And yes. maybe you could learn from our mistakes, yeah. essentially. Well, yeah, I, I was pretty embarrassed about missing that offboard location in 89. And if I'd never, if I hadn't mentioned that, how long would it have taken us to figure out that I actually wasn't on the hook? For yeah, it yeah. Like, but because we mentioned it, we learn much quicker from other people so exactly cool. yeah. yeah and oftentimes with these different titles you can get a little minor a mm. minor thing wrong oh yeah yeah there's, there's 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 certain rules that sort of switch over i think one of the big ones that we were talking about recently was how in 1830 uh when you sell you when you sell shares to force buy a train in the operating round you can actually dump a company on someone mm. yes. you specifically are not allowed to do that in 1889 Right, yeah. And that's something that can really catch you out because 89 and 1830 are so similar in so many yes, ways. There's yeah. such minor rules differences. Yeah. But and, that and, one's pretty and, big. And some of these things, like one for me that seemed like not a big deal at first, uh, like it seems completely inconsequential, but now I can see how it makes a difference, is in some 18xxs you can buy a share and then sell afterwards in others you can uh, you have to sell first before you buy yes and that yeah. seems like uh, who cares when you're yeah. starting out with 18xx right but now you can obviously do things like buy a share and sell it immediately just to decrease the stock value which is not something i necessarily thought of in my first few plays of right yeah well i think that's kind of the thing right what's so interesting about these games is that as you go the more basic rules you kind of internalize mm. the more you start to maneuver in more minute kind of ways yeah and the easier it is i think it is to remember those little differences yeah you can just kind of instead of remembering the rules for this 18xx you remember the differences for this 18xx kind of thing yeah because i think level one of 18xx is just kind of running a good company yeah you know you and you tend to hang on to your companies till the end and then once you've sort of internalized how all that works that's when you start fiddling with things Mm. and you start thinking but wait a minute I could mm. actually do more with my money over here. And if I just dump yeah. this and start that. And yeah, so the more I find that we internalize the basic flow of the game, mm. not even so much the rules, but just sort of the general flow of how things kind of work, the more you start to play around with different things. Yes. Yeah. It feels like there's always more to kind of explore or tweak or fiddle with. Mm. Yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah. And Brian also said, just curious, have you read the game Grand Trunk Games blog about the value of private companies in 1830? And that's actually what we wanted to talk about today. So yeah, I, I messaged you and I said, how about we do an episode um, on the 1830 private company specifically? Mm. And Because the private auction is such a huge part of any game. Yes. And I think a lot has been written about the 1830 private auction because it is kind of the granddaddy. Right. If you're listening to this podcast, you're almost certainly going to play 1830. Mm. So if we talked about the private auction and sort of like... 18 Rhineland or something yeah it may be a little bit less useful but I thought we could sort of do a bit of a deep dive on 1830 specifically um, and it would probably be useful to most people yes yeah so this isn't my own genius uh, this is just me reading a lot of what I could find on the subject and trying to kind of condense it into uh, the the highlights okay but we'll also try and sort of expand it out a little bit to private auctions in general All right especially yeah. private auctions in sort of full cap games so sort of in yeah. the vanilla kind of full cap game not minor 
kind of companies and all that stuff. The general thing where there's privates and you bid on them and it's a full cap game where you can sell your privates to your corporations. Yes. That's kind of the baseline. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of games that do all this very differently, like 1846, where you just draft them, but you still have to pay for them. Mm. All that kind of jazz is a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So... Grand Trunk Games, I don't know if you know, Fred, that's that company that is, it's quite exciting. They sort of are trying to bring 18xx to the sort of average consumer. Yes, you can yeah. call it that. I yeah. know about them, yeah. Yeah, so they actually just announced their Kickstarter a few days ago. Yeah, I saw that. Someone actually mentioned it in, in the Discord. Yeah, so that is 1861 and 1867 in one box. Oh, nice. Yeah, quite a cool box, actually, because it's kind of like double-sided. So on the one, if you're facing it from the one direction, it looks like it's just 1861. And if you face it from the other side, it looks like it's just 1867. Oh, wow. Uh, it's quite cool. a cool graphic. It's like a proper hybrid kind of box. Yeah. Are yeah. You, are we going to back it? I'm, I'm quite keen to. I think it'll be cool. Okay. I, I think especially since it's one of those ones a lot of people are going to get their hands on and things like that and yeah i think we want to be able to talk about the new games and stuff that come out on the podcast yeah yeah i know we said we weren't going to be doing like new games every week because it just becomes unmanageable but yeah, yeah we'd like to talk about new titles and explore yeah. new things we and, should do a joint backing then yeah maybe we should yeah i think it's easier that's true yeah so quite interesting I, I heard it's quite an operational game that's what i've read about it okay so less stock market kind of focused mm -hmm. yeah apparently not that long to play uh yeah so it's gonna be quite interesting there are a lot of double-sided sort of components and things like that depending on which game you're playing so i guess we'll see in practice how that kind of works out right yeah. um 1847 that anniversary edition that i have has a thing like that with different versions of the game and it wasn't really a mission when we played it so no. I don't imagine it'll be it's a not like you normally mission. flip over a corporation but very good price point i think it was like 60 dollars i want to say it might have been 70 something like that okay yeah so very affordable for 18xx especially since it's two distinct games mm. yeah so really cool i think we always want to support anything that aims to sort of get more 18xx in more people's hands so yes, for keen sure. on that. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, there's a new podcast. I don't know if you've heard it called Wheel Tapping. Yes, yeah. I actually I retweeted their their thing on Twitter. Right. Okay. I listened to the first episode. They're taking an 18xx game and having an episode about it. Right. And uh, so their first episode was on Chesapeake. Chesapeake. Yeah. And it was good. It made me very excited for the Chesapeake Kickstarter. Yeah, actually. I'm interested about that. I've been thinking a lot about Chesapeake recently. I also listened to that episode. Mm. And yeah, great job, guys, if you ever listen to this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, really good job. Certainly recommend that. I think they're going for like a sort of a one a month schedule, they said. Yes. Um, but they're doing really like deep dives on games. So they're mm. going to play it a bunch of times and then do a proper kind of deep dive on it. Yeah, I've heard some kind of mixed stuff about Chesapeake in a way. I also thought it sounded pretty good from their podcast. Yeah. The one they played, though, was a print and play, I think. It it wasn't a Kickstarter copy because obviously yes. those aren't quite out yeah. yet. So Scott, uh, Scott, the guy who's behind the All Aboard game, Scott Peterson, yeah. he made some sort of advanced prototype kind of copies using his old method of sort of hand cutting and laminating everything himself. Okay, right. Yeah. So yeah. they had one of those. Yeah. So yeah, I'm keen. I've heard that it's there's a lot of stuff that's very beginner friendly. Um, and so there's a little bit of a question mark over how much veteran quote unquote players will necessarily enjoy it. Mm. I don't think we're at the veteran stage yet. So I think we will kind of enjoy it. I, I think my only concern is, will we have almost outgrown it by the time that we get it? I'm not really sure. It'll be interesting to see how we like it. 
Yeah, it will be. But I think even even if we have, even if it's only like purpose is to be an intro game, I think that's fine. It's still a good game to have in your collection. Oh yeah, definitely. But these guys seem to enjoy it. Um, they seem to like it just fine. So yeah. Yeah, and I heard there's a quite an interesting two player mode for it, which I'm keen to try with oh, you as right. well. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that part. It's quite interesting. Like when someone buys a share, you remove a share. Yes, I did hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes the shareholding interesting because it can't be 60-40 ever. Yeah. And also the president share was 30%? 30%, yeah. Is that only in two-player? Only in two-player. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so that makes it interesting, yes. Yeah, yeah so that, pretty keen to try that. Um, excited yeah, to get my hands on it. And I think it will be nice to have a game that... Look, I think it's designed as an intro game, and I think mm. it does that very well. It's taken out a lot of the meanness. Bankruptcy is very uncommon. Uh, there's a, a sort of a little gimmick that pushes the trains if players aren't pushing them yeah. to keep the time of the game down. Uh, yeah, and a nice production. Mm. It's even got like a fancy kind of side to the board that you can use so it doesn't look bland, like turns off something yes. on 18xx <laughs> players and stuff. So yeah. yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm excited to own it. I'm, I'm keen to play it. I think that we'll enjoy it because yeah, I, I haven't so. met an 18xx. I don't like it. Yeah. But I did know that part of my criticism of 46 was that a lot of the meanness felt kind of sucked mm. out of it. Yeah. And it's not that I like being mean specifically, but I like the tension that that brings. Yeah. I like the threat of bankruptcy. I like the threat of the train rush and all that kind of stuff. So right. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of if there's enough of that left in that it still feels mm. exciting and tense. So if it just feels like, yeah, I'm going to take this company and run it and it's just going to keep getting better. I'm never going to be worried about getting mm. new assets for it or whatever. Yes. Yeah. We will see. We'll certainly talk about that as soon as we get it though. Yes. Yeah. I also have 1862 on the way. Oh, nice. Yeah. GMT is shipping those out. I feel like it might have shipped already. Um, They charged me. Was that the P500? Yeah. Okay. They charged me for that a couple of weeks ago and they were supposed to be shipping from the 10th. Okay. And it's shipping to a US address because we use that mail forwarding service because mm. our post office is a nightmare. Fun yes, fact. It is. Hopefully that will come soon. That one sounds pretty wild. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember I sent you on WhatsApp all the like differences in that game and I can't even remember them. Yes, all, but it was there pretty. Were, there were a lot of interesting. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yes. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. So yeah. I'm keen to try that and see <laughs> see how that feels in practice. Yeah. Interesting that GMT chose that one. Mm -hmm. um to sort of do so i heard someone say that gmt and this isn't official or anything but i don't know how reliable this is but basically what i've heard is that gmt don't want to commission or work on or whatever you call it any sort of 1830 based games so oh. what i mean by that is sort of the part of the like very similar to 1830 kind of games like an 1889 because mm. uh, the context conversation someone was saying that 89 would be a great choice but apparently they don't want to do any of those like sort of 1830-esque, but on a different kind of map. Is games. there a guess as to why? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure because the demand for 89 is certainly there. Um, Scott mm. from All Aboard did a poll recently where he was talking about, um, he basically put a poll up saying, which games would you like to see sort of mass produced next mm. to get this sort of Kickstarter treatment, right? And 89, I think, was one of the ones at the top of that poll. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense, though, because it's very accessible. It's a good it's game. It's a great teaching game, and mm. it's really good even once you are kind of like a 
veteran so to speak it's still mm. enjoyable yes it's it's great i'm very glad to own that one yeah i was a little bit worried in a sense that when chesapeake came i was gonna have like two games that were almost too similar mm. but i feel like from what i've heard there's actually quite a lot different in them okay i don't think i'm gonna be sad to still own 89 yeah i think i'm happy to happy to have that one yeah yo so should we move on to our topic over here yes Okay, so we wanted to talk about the private auction. Yeah, I assume everyone listening to this knows the basics where you either buy the first private or the next available private at face value or you can bid on future privates. Yes. So what's interesting about the 1830 privates is that they are vastly imbalanced. Mm -hmm. So they are really, whatever they say they're worth is not necessarily true at all. Okay. So, and I think that's a weird thing coming from a sort of a board game background, things are generally developed and balanced appropriately, right? So if this thing sells at $160, and I know that we felt like that when we played these games originally, mm. we felt like, okay, if it's valued at this, it's probably worth roughly that amount. Mm. It never really occurred to us to like very aggressively bid on different privates. I know in the beginning, we barely bid at all. Yeah, we just bought at face value. It's like sort of we really wanted one of those powers. We'd kind of be like, ooh, okay, I'll add $5 to this. Yeah. But you almost felt like you were overpaying. Yes. You know, you're like, man, it's valued at 80 and <laughs> I'm paying 85. Like, what am I doing? You know, it turns out it's not really like that at all. Mm. And I think 1830 is one of the ones most guilty of being very, very imbalanced. Well, I don't know if guilty is the right word. I think it's planned to be that way. I think it's well, part that of is what the, makes it interesting. That is the question. Yeah. Is it is it a mistake that has become a feature or was it planned like that from the beginning? I don't think it's a mistake. Interesting. Yeah. I think it was designed like I think it's just one of those things you have to bis discover about that specific 18xx right. i think all of them have those little things and once you start discovering like oh this private is very powerful then it, the game comes becomes about preventing someone else from getting that or pushing the price up to a point where some of that value is you know negated what yeah. i think is interesting about this is kind of a meta game kind of thing as mm. well how much of these games in terms of optimal strategy was discovered years after they actually came out mm. Mm. you know so whoever designed chess or whatever originally mm. didn't necessarily know how deep that game was going to be or go is an even better example mm. people still discover stuff about that game now mm. stuff that whoever designed it originally would have had no idea yeah Right. So I find that kind of interesting in the sense that what was the metagame in early 18xx? Mm. From day one, when people played 1830, did they sell their privates immediately and value them according to how much they could sell them for? Or did they value them based on the revenue and everyone would sit around collecting revenue and they thought that was the best way to do it? Yeah, I think it starts out that way. I think it starts out pretty much the way we've, we're starting out. Right. Like we started out paying face value for them. Uh, then we kind of slowly realize, oh, this, this company is actually really, really nice. I really want this one next time I play. And then you bid a little bit more for it. And, and I think that will, like eventually, if you play it enough, you'll kind of get to the more accurate kind of values. But it's, but it's also not even that simple because a lot of those privates are, are more valuable when combined with another corporation. So if someone gets private X, you can't let them have corporation Y kind yeah. of thing, you know? So yeah, it's not just like, this is what the face value should be. Right. And I do think th for me, there's still that question mark then of how much about these games were discovered or sort of optimized years after they came out to the point where the designer did not intend for them to be that way. Because when you work with something like 18xx, you have so much room for maneuvering. Mm. 
And so much has been discussed and broken down about it over time that I feel like it runs away from what its original design purpose maybe even was. That's possible, I think. But I think, so obviously, like you're saying, at the design phase, you can't see the the depth immediately. Yeah. So that means, like, if you were trying to set a face value for them that was accurate, you wouldn't be able to. But I think maybe that's part of the design is to just sit, choose a face value and see what people do with that. You you don't, as the designer, necessarily know, okay, this particular private company is going to be the one with the best ROI in the long run. Yes. You don't necessarily lo- know that, but you're also not trying to make it as accurate as possible um, in terms of face value. You're not trying to set all the private's ROI to be exactly the same. You're just setting some values and letting players discover it. Well, exactly. And that's why whenever you have auctions, it can be self-balancing, right? Mm. Because the value of the private is whatever people are willing to pay for it. You set a face value, but you also allow people to pay whatever they want above that. So the only way it can ever be imbalanced is if you're paying too much at face value. But if the face value is too little... It doesn't matter yeah. because people can just yeah, so figure it out from you, there. You could maybe just set all the face values to $10 and let the players fight, fight it out. The only thing the face value does is determine how much a corporation can buy that private for from the player. Right. That is the only thing the face value really does. It's not saying this particular company is necessarily more valuable than another one. Well, the thing about the face value is that aside from being a price, Mm. it's the single most important thing in determining the value of the private companies because it determines how much you can sell it for. Yes, yeah. And that's where the face value really matters. Yeah. Not in terms of how much you're going to pay for it because like you say, you could just set them all to 10 and then see what happens. Yeah. But the real value is that you can sell a private to a corporation for double its face value, Mm. which makes the most expensive sellable private oftentimes the best one. Yes. Just on metric of that alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just as a simple example, if you pay 40 for a private, you're going to gain 40 at least if you sell that for 80. So you're making 40 profits on a 40 private. Whereas if you, if the face value is 160, you can gain 160 when you sell that. Right. So yeah, it's just, you're investing more at the beginning, but you're getting more back when you sell. I guess if you buy a private for 40 and let's say it never pays revenue, just for the sake of this argument, and you sold it for 80, you would make about... $18 profit or something like that, whatever 40% of 80 is, you'd make about that much because you have to float the companies at 60%. So 60% of the money in the company is yours, Mm -hmm. assuming you've invested all of it in order to float it. But 40% comes from the bank. Right. And that's where selling it for double, you get that money back from the bank. That's why selling the privates is so good because you basically steal money from the bank in that way because the bank funds 40% of that company. You sell the private back to the company bank has paid for a decent chunk of that yeah that's an interesting way of thinking about it i don't know because you're putting 60 percent into a corporation whether you have privates to sell to it or not sure but in terms of actual return on your money if we're just talking about you sunk in this much money and this is how much you got out i agree that your private your company you float gives you money beyond that anyway but in terms of money you actually got out from the bank that you didn't put in yourself that's basically how much Mm. you get Mm. that's why we were talking last week a general metric for this is privates are worth roughly 140 percent of their value right yeah 
because you have to put in 60% to float it and you pay 100% of its face value, right? Yeah. Presumably, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's interesting because we have in on the odd occasion, and I think that's happening less and less, but we have on the odd occasion managed to sell a private to a, a CEO, a different CEO's public company. Yes. Which changes that formula completely. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I guess there's a question of whether or not you as a corporation should ever do that. And I suppose the prob- the answer is probably no. No, probably not because in that case the person selling the private will get 100%. Yeah. They will get well, they will get yeah, 200% of the value of that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So in terms of general private auction mm. strategy, that 140% number seems to be kind of a golden number in terms okay. of evaluating the value of it. 140% of its face value is probably what you should be willing to pay for it. Right. And you can usually get, well, you'll always get at least one OR's dividend, well, not dividend payment, but whatever payment from the private. Yeah. Uh, maybe two. Yeah. yeah. You'll get the revenue. Yeah. 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 You'll get it always at least once, like you yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to go through the privates in 1830 quickly. Uh, so the first one is the Skull Kill Valley, if that's how you pronounce it. Scale Kill? Skull Kill? I don't know, guys. I'm saying Skull Kill. It sounds metal. Skull Kill? It sounds pretty metal. Okay, so that is $20 and its revenue is $5. And nothing else. Womp womp. No special features. Then you get the Champagne and Champlain and St. Lawrence. Uh, so this one lets you lay a tile on a specific hex, even if the hex is not connected to the corporation's railhead. So this gives you basically a free tile placement in addition to your normal tile placement. And you can put a token on there, I believe, when you do it. I could be wrong about that. Okay, then you get the Delaware and Hudson. Uh, this one, oh, so that one is $40 and pays revenue 10. The Champ- Champlain and St. Lawrence. Right, so it's exactly double the Skull Kill one. Yeah. In revenue and cost. Yeah, and then the Delaware and Hudson is $70, revenue 15. Uh, you can establish a railhead on the DNH hex by laying a station tile and a token. Oh, no, sorry, this is the one that lets you place a tile and a token. Okay. Yeah, you do not have to be connected to the remainder of the corporation's route. Okay. And that's your only tile placement for the turn. Um, there's a mountain there which costs $120 as usual. <laughs> mm. But you don't get charged for laying the token. Okay. So you get a small discount there. Okay, so that one is 70 and revenue 15. Then you get the Mohawk and Hudson. That's 110, revenue 20. Uh, you can exchange this for a 10% share of the New York City Railroad, um, provided you obviously don't already own 60% of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, so you can do this on your turn during a stock round or between the turns of other players or corporations in either stock or operating rounds. Well, there you go. Okay, the next one, the big one, the Camden and Amboy, the CNA. This one costs 160 and pays 25 So when you purchase this, you immediately receive a 10% share of the Pennsylvania Railroad stock. Okay, the last one is the B&O. This one costs 220 with a revenue of 30 this one's quite interesting. You immediately take the president's certificate of the B&O Corporation without any further payment, and you can set the par value. Um, so you can choose to set the par value here. I think it's between like, so you can just go the max is 100. Right, okay. Yeah, so you can set this at 100, and that in theory makes you money in the sense that you pay 220 for this and you'll get $30. Mm. So you pay $200 for a president's certificate, and you get $30 at least once. Yeah. Uh, this private can't be sold to a corporation and it's closed when you buy the first train. When the B&O buys the first yeah, train. Yeah, when the yep. B&O buys that first train. And it costs $260. Uh, $220. $220, okay. $220. So the thing about the 1830 private auction is that it revolves entirely 
almost you could say around the cna mm. the camden and amboy that is the most broken private by far okay far and away its face value is 160 which means you can sell it to a company for 320 mm. which is a massive capital injection yeah beyond that it also gives you a free share and unlike the private before it it does you you don't lose the the private when you get the share like the private before that you exchange the private company for a share yes this one you you just gain the share and keep the private exactly yeah so normally if you imagine sort of a four-player game right well let's just imagine any game really you will need basically 402 dollars to float a company outright yeah because uh, the minimum is 67 dollars times six shares exactly yeah if you want to float the pennsylvania railroad you only need 335 mm. because of this free share and that's true for everyone because one share will be out there so yes. if anyone wants to float this it is actually only going to cost them 335 mm. if you let someone get the camden amboy and float the prr you've kind of screwed up okay yeah i've heard of people calling games when that happens oh wow yeah so you should not allow that to happen hmm. so the private auction the number one thing you need to do is make sure that nobody gets that for less than 200 okay as a general rule yeah anything less than 200 and you've they've gotten way too much value out of it so this one is sort of warps the whole auction in right. a sense in that it's basically the other player's job to make sure somebody doesn't get this for too low of a price right yeah. if someone buys it at 160 and then floats the pennsylvania railroad mm. that's just disaster okay interesting the exception to this, which I find quite interesting, is in a six-player game. Mm -hmm. In a six-player game, it is very hard to sell your privates for double their value and survive. You actually can't afford to take that amount of money out of the company treasury. Because the trains go too Because quickly. in a six-player game, everybody floats basically all the corporations mm. in like the first stock round. Mm. And they all float them low. Mm. so it's hard to necessarily get a second company to support your first company which is what normally happens right your first company you sort of you par it low the general flow right you par the company low you sell your privates to it you extract as much money from it as you can as quickly as possible you burn it out completely then you float a new one with fresh capital at a higher par price and eventually come back and save that first company with the treasury of your second company mm. You can't really do that in a six-player mm. game. Well, at least you can't do it reliably. Interesting. So if you get the CNA and you sell it to yourself for $320, you may very well go bankrupt. Right. You may struggle to survive okay. taking that much money out of your treasury. And you also may struggle to kind of reinvest it appropriately. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was quite interesting. A six-player game of 1830 is very, very different yeah. to four- and five-player games in that sense. Yeah, that's interesting. So... If you are sitting down with a bunch of new players to play 1830 and you're about to start the private auction, you would essentially tell them two things. Number one, don't let the CNA go for cheap. Number two, don't buy the $20 private until we have bids on other things. Mm. The $20 private is basically there to stall the auction. To give every player a chance to bid on a future yeah, private. Yeah. Exactly. Because mm. no one really wants that one. Mm. It's fun. It's kind of irrelevant. Mm. Oftentimes, it will happen that people will continue to pass until that thing goes for like $10 or whatever, okay. because it just doesn't really do much of anything. Yeah. It takes up a certificate slot. That's not really a big deal because you'll sell it to your corporation at some point. But 
you may just want to hang on to it for a while just for the five dollar revenue mm. if you get it for cheap because forty dollars is probably not a meaningful amount to extract from your treasury unless you can actually use it mm. you have to sort of do the math on whether that forty dollars is going to make a big difference in the next stock yes. round yeah. otherwise you might just want to collect your passive five dollars yeah. of revenue for a while and try to get something out of it but essentially it's just not really worthwhile mm. for anything it yeah, just doesn't do enough isn't a lot either. it doesn't do enough yeah yeah, um, the CST is kind of the same. That's the second one. Um, that also, that one you can buy the for 40, 40 and 10. Yeah. yeah. So this is the one that lets you lay a tile on a hex and it's a free placement. So the advantage of this one is that it helps you start the Canadian Pacific Railroad. That's sort of where it's located and it can help sort of start up that thing. Mm. But CPR is a bad starting corporation. Mm. It's not a great one to start with. So eh, okay. that little gambit, mm. while that's how it's kind of intended, means that you start with kind of a crappy corporation to start with. Mm. So not exactly where you want to be. Okay. But if you ended up with that private and you kind of have lost in priority or something and you have to start a different company that you don't get first pick of the good ones, mm. then you probably want to start yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the DNH is in a very similar spot. So the DNH is the one that costs 70 with a revenue of 15. This one lets you sort of build a hex on that mountain tile mm. that costs 120, but you get to put a token there as well. So this is mostly help, hope, helpful, excuse me, to Chesapeake, okay, Chesapeake and Ohio, but that is also not a great starter company. Right. So kind of in a similar spot. Mm. Yeah, that's the DNH. So again, these other ones are not very exciting. You shouldn't look too closely at the powers, mm. especially in 1830. A lot of people would say this is true of most of these games when it comes to privates, that the powers aren't necessarily that important. But especially in 1830, a lot of the powers are kind of irrelevant. Okay. Yeah, they're not like very, very impactful. Right. Um, the revenue you get can be slightly important, but to a much greater extent, it's about how much can you get selling them back yes. to the company. So if, for example, you could get one at the $70 one at face value, that's great. You can sell it for 140 and you've made money there. Yeah. So it's not a bad deal. But make sure you had some bids in on the CNA just to make sure yeah. no one got it for cheap. Um, so the next one is the Mohawk and Hudson. So this one is $110 with a revenue of 20 this one lets you exchange it for a 10% share of the New York City. Um, most of the time, you're probably not going to want to do that. Exchange it for a share. Mm, yeah. Because it's kind of worth more to you sold. Because remember, this one's got a decent price. It's $110. Yeah. So this one you can sell in for $220, which mm. is a, a pretty hefty amount. And that's probably going to be more value to you than one share of New York. But New York is a good starting railroad. Mm. So it's not the worst thing in the world. If it's something you need to do, if you feel like it can be of value to you. Yeah. yeah. Evaluate accordingly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this, I've seen this described as the bad sibling to the Camden and Amboy, mm. where it kind of looks similar. Mm. Like you get a share out of it. It's got quite a high face value. But it is significantly less powerful. And that's mainly because you exchange it for a share. Exactly. Like you get rid of it when you get the share. Yeah. Exactly. The yeah. CNA, you get the share for free. Yes. And on top of that, it's got the highest sell-in value of all the privates. So MH is not bad. But again, it's, it's 
nothing compared to well, the Well, it's CNA. not the highest, right? It's 160 and the, the next one is 220. Yeah, but the BNO can't be sold to a corporation. Oh, of course, because it closes. Yeah, it just gets you the president's share and it closes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and also just specifically can't be sold yeah. to a corporation, I don't believe. Yeah, yeah. So no, fair enough. Yeah. So, yeah, so the CNA, we've spoken a lot about that. Um, it's great if you can get it for, I think, anything up to about 220, it's worth it. Okay. 220, 225, I think I've seen those kind of numbers thrown around. Mm. Yeah, so it's ridiculously good. Mm. Um, if you can get it for like 170 or 180 or 190, you're doing very well. Mm. And then you can see if people are silly enough to let you float the Pennsylvania Railroad after that as well. Okay. Yeah. So that one's great. Uh, the last one is the B&O. Mostly people say avoid this at all costs. Okay. <laughs> so the B&O has the advantage of being the strongest company in the game. Mm. This is the strongest company in terms of an opening company. Not the private company. I mean the actual corporation. The corporation, yeah. Yeah. They have the best position, the best routes, et cetera, et cetera. So there's two big problems with the B&O. People who know this game will force it to float mm. in order to close it, right? This could potentially be good if you could buy the private and not float the company. I believe that's the implication is that if you bought the private, didn't float the company in the first stock round and got $30 of revenue every hour, it could potentially be worthwhile. Okay. Because then you'd be paying $200 and getting $30 per hour. Right. Right. And then eventually you could use it to make that stock worth something, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But people will float that company. Okay. People will generally force you to float it mm. in the first stock round. So, and once it's floated, you want to run it. Yeah. Because you don't want to sit with a floated company depreciating stock value because if you do the maths on that, Mm. you're losing way more money than the $30 revenue you're gaining. Right. So if it gets floated, you want to be running it. Mm. So you're going to buy the train, you're going to close it, you're going to suck it up, right? Okay. Yeah, so the the two biggest problems is that you can't sell it in. You can't do that exchange. That private, yeah. Yeah, you can't sell it. Mm. And it will get floated <laughs> by other people. Yeah. Yeah, which will force you to to do something with it. Okay. And did you see anything? So with that one, you can also choose the par value. So if that's the case, if other people are going to force you to float it, then it's probably a good idea to set the par value high, right? I've seen cases for both. Okay. Yeah. I'm not too sure. I think it's probably pretty game dependent. Um, you'll essentially need $400 if you set it at 100 uh, that would imply that you get the biggest return on your investment. Mm. Yeah, but it's like in that 1849 game we played where I could have chosen between 167 for a similar kind of company and I chose 67, but that mm. was for a particular reason. I, I think you could have your reasons for wanting to do it differently potentially, but yeah. Yeah, yeah well... So just, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but I'm thinking if you, maybe the private auction ends up, this is this is your only game plan really, is you have to take this private and you kind of have stuck with the BNO the way turn order is or whatever. Um, so you probably will float it, then you'll set the bar value maybe low, uh, since you don't have any other privates to sell to yourself or to your corporation. Yeah. Maybe you'll set it low and just get it going and make use of its good location and good routes. Because what we've seen, I mean, we've seen, that high-powered first companies can actually be a bit of a liability in a way, in the sense that it costs a lot to kind of float it and it, you get a lot of money into it, but you can't really use that treasury very effectively mm. because you're buying cheaper trains and you end up sitting with this kind of money in it that you then have to try work yeah, to transfer out. You have to calculate that very carefully because what's happened with us before is you end up sitting with 
a lot of money in the treasury, but not enough to buy one of the big trains. Um, and then that money's just dead money sitting yeah. in the treasury. Because you still have to chip in four, you still have to buy four shares of this thing. Mm. So it's your choice if you want to spend $400 or whatever mm. four times 67 is. Yeah, You may want to save some of your cash in order to do something else. Yeah, yeah. To float a second company or something like that. So... I understand that you're sort of getting it at a crappy deal if you float it for less than 100, but it may be worth your while to to do mm. so anyway. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of up to you. Yeah. Yeah. So if, I guess, <laughs> as always, it's good to sort of fiddle around with that stuff. And I think it may be fairly game dependent on, on what you want to do with that. Yes. How much money you have left over, what you feel like you could potentially do with it. Mm. Um, yeah. What other people have got, how much they paid for it. All that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So some people seem to like the BNO, but for me, it seems like far more people seem to think you want to avoid it. Right. Yeah. So that article that who was it that sent us that article? Was it Brian? Yeah. That article Brian sent us was um, entitled "Why You Don't Want the BNO Private and My Trick to Avoid Getting It." <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we can read the 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 trick to avoid getting it yes. uh, so this will be from uh, it's joshua star i believe is the guy behind grand trunk yeah so this will be his advice so credit where it's due so yeah let me see what's um oh i actually remember actually i don't know why i'm looking it up because I, I read this so what he said was you basically take all the revenue the revenue markers of all the companies so basically Add all the revenue, you know, the not the yeah. face value, but the revenue it pays. Yeah. Add that up, divided by the number of players. Mm. And if your revenue number, by the time you get to where the point where someone has to buy the BNO, mm. right, where everything else has been bought, but no one wants to buy BNO, and you're going to go into that phase where you keep on passing and then you do that kind of mini OR where the privates all pay and then you come back to it again, that mm. whole system. Um, if your revenue is above that number, Mm. the total revenue divided by the number of players you don't have to buy it <laughs> okay the reason for that is if your number is below that it means that you are earning the least revenue mm. so when you repeatedly just run a mini or and collect money whoever's earning the least money is the one who needs to stop that cycle right that's the player that's losing they're out. losing out yeah. whoever's earning the most is quite happy to let that bno sit there i'll do mini ors all day because nothing else is happening mm. but i'm getting more money than all of you mm. whoever's earning the least is losing the most mm from that cycle so right. if you are the player who's earning the least you want to buy that to you stop have the to cycle. buy the bno to stop it because yeah. you are the only person who's truly incentivized to stop it mm. everyone else is probably quite happy to let it carry on yeah. yeah so the way to not be that player is add all the revenue together from the privates divide by the number of players your number needs to be higher than that okay interesting yeah cool so thanks for that tip josh i like that yeah that's very cool yeah so I think that's I think that's about all I have to say about 1830 privates. And I think, yeah, like we say, a lot of this applies to, to privates in general. Um, I think that a mistake beginners make is overvaluing the abilities of the mm. privates. I think that tends to be the big focus. And I think the other huge mistake that p beginning players make is overvaluing the revenue. Right, yeah. And holding on to it instead of just selling it for exactly. double. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I remember we played a game not that long ago where Simon was shocked 
that I, I sold all my privates into the company immediately and didn't mm. hang on to the revenue. But selling them gave me something like $200 or something like that, which in the next stock round, I could immediately reinvest into shares and all the stuff that's ultimately going to appreciate in value, pay dividends and get me way more than that revenue ever would. Yes. And that's what it's all about. When you crunch the numbers on this stuff, the revenue is nothing compared to what that money could be doing for you. Right. Yeah. And 18xx, it's all about getting your dollars to work the hardest that they can. Yes getting the most from it yeah. it's not enough to just be making money you have to be making the most amount of money possible mm, yeah and that's really what it comes down to yeah yeah so i realized while looking for brian's email that i left out someone's email I quickly edit him back put him <laughs> put him back to the, the mail section so i'm very sorry to garrett because garrett messaged us okay he also told us that uh, we screwed up 1849 and you were surely going to win. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that he might have actually even been the first person to tell us this. Oh, okay. So sorry, Garrett. Yeah. So Garrett is from Southern California. He hosts a monthly 18xx meetup and typically have eight to 14 people show up. So if we are ever in the Disneyland area, we're welcome to join. Oh, cool. That'd be pretty sweet. I like Disneyland. Yes. I mean, I went when I was 12, but I feel like it would still be cool. Oh, really? You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a long time ago, yeah. Um, so he sent us his top five. I love it when people send us their top five. Yeah. So at number one is 1849. Another person with 1849 at the top there. <laughs> this is becoming a trend. So yes. yeah, 1849, very interesting. Number two is 1860. That is that very hard to get one, I believe, that um, is very good at two players. I think it's called Railways oh, of Great yes. Britain. Other people something. have... Is it Great Britain? No, but it's something like that. British Isles. Oh, Garrett, I think he was the one that recommended that on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that apparently is the... But it's so expensive. I've seen it go for like $400 or something. Absolutely insane like Okay, that. well, if you get it, I'll play it with you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so once we get 7,000 patrons, we'll, we'll gladly... <laughs> we'll buy it. We'll definitely buy it. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... That one seems really, really cool. Um, number three was 1832, which I was just looking up because I've never heard of it. It's 1832, The South. <laughs> hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so that's by Deep Thought Games. Yeah, which is the same guys behind 1889, or yes. at least who licensed 1889. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Um, 1846 is number four. Oh, wow. Sorry for slandering it, uh, Garrett. Oh, controversial. Um, and then the last one is 1841. And I think this might be, if it's the one I'm thinking of. Ooh, I don't know if it is the one I'm thinking of. Oh, yes, it is. It's this Railways in Northern Italy. So this oh, game cool. is apparently kind of insane and pretty brutal. Hmm. So this is apparently the, the absolute top you get in terms of sort of stock market manipulation. So this is a an insane stock game. And apparently this game is just constantly shifting and changing. And so much stuff is happening that you're just trying to survive. Hmm. Yeah. The train obsolescence is rapid and unforgiving. And it is quite possible for forced purchase trains to be obsolete before they get a chance to run. <laughs> wow. This is from the game's official description. Wow. That How insane is that? Yeah, so I think it's incremental cap. Yo, and train prices go up to fourteen hundred for the largest. Wow. Yo, yeah, this this game I would really be keen to play because apparently it is just it absolutely right brutal. And this is the one that allows companies to buy and sell shares in each other. Oh, right. And to merge with each other, so it's just totally wow all over the place. Yeah, I think this this one is. 
you could have played this game a thousand times and I think you could still go bankrupt and mm. just get wrecked because <laughs> things just don't go the way that you planned. Well, it yeah. might be good to just be the bank in that game. <laughs> so I think we need to visit Southern California because Garrett's got some access to some pretty cool games here. Yes. Some ones I want to play. Yeah. Yeah, and he was kind enough to let us know that you surely would have won that 1849 game if we hadn't uh, screwed you with our ineptitude. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate guys having my back on that one but yeah. i don't know if i would have won <laughs> to be honest there were there was a few mistakes before and after that as well i'm yes. <laughs> not sure if we mentioned them but mm. yeah but that was that yeah. was it shattered your morale you know it put you in a poor psychological <laughs> space did, which yes. surely precipitated the following errors yeah yeah so i think that wraps up our 1830 privates mm. actually i was thinking i didn't actually have anything to talk about south african e I you, kind of forgot about that. You had something last week and then I interrupted you with uh, the gated community type oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember what that was. But I was just thinking in the middle of this episode, we were talking about shipping games here. Okay. Yeah. And I thought we could kind of talk about that, our access to board games right. in South Africa and how that kind of works. So we have uh, we have a few. We have one importer of board games. Well, yeah. we had one for a very long time. Mm. And it was very controversial because everyone thought their prices were very overinflated and they were kind of screwing us with their monopoly, right? A lot of people still think that. Mm. I'll reserve my <laughs> reserve my thoughts on that. Um, but we had one importer for a long time and they were distributed to a couple of very niche sort of like online stores. Mm. Um, we have one store in Johannesburg, a brick and mortar store that's done quite well and has sort of built a whole community and has game days every mm. month and things like that called Timeless Board Games. And they really are great. Um, and they've been very successful. Um, and then we have one other retailer who started, I believe, doing their own importing of board games specifically. That's Raru. Um, which has been quite interesting in terms of its effect on the market because I think they've driven prices down. Yeah, but they're not a board game only online store. No, no, no. They sell all kinds of stuff. So, and, the, and all the stuff they sell, I believe, they import themselves. But they went pretty deep on board games. I've actually spoken to some people from there before and they, they recognized it as a market worth kind of capturing. Right. And they went really hard on that. Okay. Unfortunately, when it comes to 18xx games, mm. there is no one selling mm. 18xx games unless it's something like GMT's 1846, something like that. I actually bought my 1846 from Raru. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of stuff you'll find there. Mm. But yeah, unfortunately, being on at the arse end of the world, everything is imported. And unfortunately, on top of that, our South African Postal Service really, really sucks. Yes. So I will basically, any package that I care about, if I kickstart anything, I'll actually send it to a US courier address, which will then courier it down to us, mm. kind of like a mail forwarding service. That's obviously pretty expensive, yeah. much more so than, because you're paying shipping twice. So I pay for shipping to the US from the Kickstarter, and then we pay a courier to courier it down here, which is obviously expensive. But And then we sometimes pay customs fees as oh, well always, yeah. And things, yeah absolutely yeah unfortunately when it comes to south african postal service stuff goes mysteriously missing quite yep. a lot and that is a result of either theft or incompetence and honestly it could go either way mm, a good mixture of both i think <laughs> so a picture went viral not that long ago of our customs area because i think there was like a strike or something striking in south africa is kind of a national pastime <laughs> um yeah especially government organizations and stuff will frequently go on strike or whatever so 
yeah, there was this picture of Orotambo, which is our Johannesburg International Airport, and the customs there. Yes. And there were just packages like up to the ceiling and just oh. like literally in like piles, oh. like not sorted, nothing. Mm. And people on our boarding group were like, my board game is somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So South Africa in general, it's kind of an interesting place in that we basically use private everything. Yeah. All government services suck. So our police force, terrible. Hospitals, terrible. Postal, terrible. So the same way you use private couriers, we'll go to private hospitals. Mm. Um, you have medical aids which pay for all of that. So it's actually not that bad. Um, and the private hospitals are very good. Pro- pay for private education because government schools are a disaster. We pay for private security because you can't rely on the police. So kind of interesting. Yeah, it's sort of we're very used to it. We just have to sort of pay privately for everything yeah it kind of works out though because as a result of everything government being so crappy all the private stuff is actually really really good yes yeah so interesting yeah it's just places where the government has a monopoly on private stuff like electricity and like i really feel like electricity should be privatized as well because we have no option there no i mean i know in the u.s you have many options for your electricity provider oh really yeah So the infrastructure is all shared still. Right. But um, you get the service providers on top of that. Yeah, we just have the one and I don't know if people have heard of load shedding, but yes. So load shedding basically is just at at some some times of the year, especially in winter when everyone's using their heaters and things, uh, there's just not enough electricity to supply everyone uh, because of yeah mismanagement, incompetence, whatever. But then we go through these stages where they will switch off electricity in certain areas. And it's all scheduled. Like you can look up when your load shedding is scheduled right. and you can plan for it. But I mean, it's still ridiculous to have your power it's, off for four hours a day. And it's quite funny because there's these thresholds. So there'll be like stage one, two, three, four load shedding. So you'll look up your schedule and say like, you won't have power from eight until 12 if load shedding goes to stage three and mm. you kind of check on your phone constantly like it's at stage two yeah. come on man <laughs> and like half an hour before it goes to like stage four you're like no <laughs> if you have stage one schedule you know you're screwed regardless because yeah. no yeah. matter what that's probably happening yeah. Yeah. yeah so load shedding was a weird thing because it became this big thing and everyone invested in like generators and like solar power and all this crazy stuff and then it wasn't a thing for like years and then not that long ago, there was like rumors of like sabotage at the power plants or whatever. And we went from no load shedding to like permanent stage four for like two weeks. And everyone mm. was like, what is happening? Yeah. We thought the country was collapsing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's, it's a pretty fun time. So that, well, that industry is not allowed to be privatized. Yes. Which I think it should. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Because as soon as it's privatized, then buying solar panels starts to make sense as well because in the u.s you can sell electricity back to the grid so if you have solar panels and you're not using a lot of electricity to the day instead of having to buy your own batteries to store it at night you can sell it back to the grid during the day and then buy from the grid at night when you when you're not generating so that that helps to pay for the cost of solar panels where we don't have that yeah as an option at all you either waste the electricity you don't use or you buy massive massive batteries to store it yeah. yeah yeah and people do it eh? people love it some we, people do do it yeah. we love to just go private everything here mm. we'll even power our own houses if we can yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So I guess that turned into a, a more lengthy discussion. But yeah, kind of a little snapshot, I guess, of some of the the funny situations of living in a third yeah. world country. But our memes are on point. <laughs> our load shedding memes are on point, guys. South yeah. Africans are great memesters. Yes. We have some we really have a great... sense of humor about things. We definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> We've lived in this for so long that you kind of just... I think what we accept as normal, other people would be like kind of horrified sometimes. Yes. But it, I would still say it's a great place to live. So, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, you have this kind of like whole first world experience that's overlaid by this like third world world governance. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of creates some funny scenarios sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, guys. Thanks for, for joining us. Thanks, Fred, for joining me in your own home. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and, and thanks, yeah. everyone, for listening. Yeah. Catch you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. If you would like to get in touch with us, we are at Derailed18xx on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, Derailed18xx at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Derailed18xx. Thanks for listening.